Well, we're excited this morning for so many things that the Lord's doing in our midst. We're about to move into a time of baptism, but let's get our hearts scripturally ready. Let's hear some testimony. Let's see the scriptures kind of open us up to God being faithful to come after us. We have a God that seeks and saves the lost. Isn't that good? We've been in a series on the love of God over the last few weeks. And don't you love that God's love compelled him to send Jesus, amen, put on bodily form, come in the flesh, die on a cross so that we might be saved. God's love, God is seeking to save. Sometimes we wonder what would happen to us if, if God caught up with us. We are in a position where we're nervous or we're wondering if God's condemnation or judgment is right behind us. You wanna know what's gonna happen if God catches up with you, my friend? It's gonna save you. It's gonna save you from the grip of death, hell, and the grave. It's gonna save you into his family, amen, and into the plans and purposes he has for you. So today we're gonna to start with a few testimonies. I'm gonna do a little bit of teaching and we're gonna get right into baptisms. Would you welcome to the platform, uh, Jeremy, the director of Teen Challenge. I always, Jeremy, I need a microphone. I, I never want to attempt his last name because I feel like I'm going to get it. I always say it wrong, like I'm speaking in tongues. So it's <laughs> Kupchik. You, you, you tell us how to say your last name. It's Kupsch. Kupsch. Or, or, or Kapush. Kapu I like okay. Kapush. <laughs> I'll just do that. Jeremy, and we'll just do Kapush. that, and it's the yeah. sign language for that. Amen. Awesome. Jeremy, tell us who we're welcoming up and some of the stories we're about to hear. Okay. Well, number one, I always want to take this opportunity um, anytime I get, get the chance to just say thank you. Um, we could not do what we do without the help of churches like Calvary to, to know that you guys are praying for us and the support that you give us is absolutely amazing. I just want to say thank you. Um, Pastor Kevin, you know, had called me this week or a couple of weeks ago and said, um, do you have some testimonies of some men that would like to share on God's love? And if anybody knows about God's love, it's definitely some teen challenge men. You know, we were lost in darkness, and it's only because of God's love and grace that he take us out of that, right? When we didn't see a way, when we didn't love ourselves, God loved us enough to give us a way out of the darkness and put us back on solid ground. So look, I, I've got three guys um, that are going to come up here and they're going to share their stories with you and just share, you know, a little bit of how God, God's love completely and radically transformed their life in the name of Jesus, right? So let's give it up for, the first one I'm going to introduce is Kyle. Come on up. Well... Good morning, church. It's been a long road, but it's been a beautiful one. Thank you for Teen Challenge for uh, saving my life and introducing me to God. And here goes a little bit about my testimony. Um, I came from an amazing family, a loving mother, a loving father, and two of the world's greatest sisters I could ever ask for. Um, unfortunately, around 11 years old, mom and dad split up. So at that time, I had a little bit of time on my hands and I started getting involved with the wrong crowds. I started smoking weed, started drinking, and then that led to criminal activity. And like I said, getting mixed up with the wrong crowds. Uh, I never had a brother, so any man knows they always want that brotherly love. So I migrated towards this older gentleman, which he was my basketball coach and my uh, baseball coach as well. Um, 
I thought that trauma with my mom and dad splitting up was probably rock bottom for my life, but unfortunately it wasn't. Um, this man uh, abused me, took advantage of me, and stuff like that. And then at that time, my life totally derailed right there. Uh, I was an angry individual. I projected my anger that I had for him on every individual that I ever crossed paths with. Um, that led to more criminal activity to multiple arrests, and then those arrests ended up to me doing uh, a bid in prison. I did two years. After that prison term, I got out, and then I got introduced to heroin, uh, which at that time was great for me because I was able to suppress everything I was going through. I was like, this is great. I'm numb from the world. And then that, that just took a toll on me. I led to multiple overdoses which unfortunately my mom was at the blunt end of one of them. Uh, she had to give me CPR. I was blue and stiff as a board until the ambulance got there. No mother should have to experience that. Uh, I can stand here today and say God's done some amazing, amazing things in my life. I had that little bit of hope uh, June 13th. I woke up, I was living in a shed two blocks from my family because they cut me off, didn't want nothing to do with me no more. Uh, so I acted upon it. I went to my mom's house. They've been wanting me to come to the program for a while. I wasn't ready. Uh, at that time, I was like, look, I got to go right now. I went to my mom's and right as I'm walking up to the house, I could hear the deadbolts lock. That's how much my family cut me out. And then I said, hey, I need to go to Teen Challenge. I'm ready. This, let's do this now because I know if I wait on this, I'm gonna not, and I'm not gonna see it through. I figured I was like, I put so much effort and so much uh, in my addiction, so I was like, let's do this. And I went there, June 14th, the Teen Challenge, fully committed to completing the program, and I did everything in my life but come to Christ, so I said, let's do this, and I walked through the doors. That Wednesday, I gave my life to Christ. <clears throat> Three months later, I was baptized here on this stage. <clears throat> and I made a pact with God. I said, hey, this is your will, not my will. I'm leaning on your understanding, not my own. And at that point, something snapped in me. I carried myself different. I acted different. The way I spoke was different. My demeanor, my demeanor was totally different. And I had a love by a loving father, and I know he forgave me of all my sins. <clears throat> and I didn't have to walk. <clears throat> I didn't have to walk through this alone. He was with me. He was with me the whole time. I never knew that, but now I do now. Now that godly seed, that teen challenge, had planted in me. I planted that in my family as well. I just got off the phone with my mom. She just went to church today. <clears throat> And it goes beyond that. My little niece is going to Bible, Bible school and everything. And uh, I can stand here today and say that now, by the grace of, and love and mercy of God, I'm here 15 months sober today. <clears throat> I've, co I've completed Teen Challenge, and then now I get the opportunity to serve with these amazing guys and then now give them my testimony and show them what God's done in my life and show them that recovery is possible 
and hopeful, and that hope is standing on the foundation of Christ, which is unshakable. Thank you to Jeremy and Teen Challenge, and thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Peter. All right, next testimony is our good brother, Peter. Uh, morning, Calvary. My name is Peter Ringlever. Uh, I'm originally from Sarasota. I'm 38 years old. Uh, and I was originally born in Ireland. I lived there until I was about seven years old when my parents split and my mother moved my brothers and I to the U.S. So the youngest of four boys, I was the last one at home by the age of 14. Um, and without an actively involved father around and little accountability, I was quickly using drugs, getting into trouble. I was sexually active and you know, almost never home by 16 years old. 17 during my junior, sorry, senior year of high school, I met my high school sweetheart. Uh, and I moved in with my brother Stefan at the time and began to party. During that year, uh, my girlfriend got pregnant. She quickly miscarried, and my best friend and brother, who I had just now moved in with, passed away. So the next couple of years was hard. Uh, I grieved. I did graduate high school. And I just kind of went through the motions, looking for direction. But I never really had any happiness. Until 2004, when the most remarkable thing happened, my son Adam was born. So his mother and I married, uh, we bought a home, we began to build a life together. But we were young and unprepared, so we were quickly divorced by the time we were 22 years old. And at that time I was granted full custody of my son, so I began to try and pick up the pieces of my life and start over. And um, yeah, it, but it was with Percocet one night that my addiction to opiates began and led to pain management. In 2012 I was remarried. And for eight years, we raised our kids from previous, previous marriages together. But it was a very destructive and toxic, toxic marriage. So in Mother's Day of 2020, I came home to my wife and stepkids' bags packed, ready to leave. And that's when my life just spiraled out of control. Uh, I began using heroin because it was cheaper, other drugs just to numb the pain. And. Uh, after a very messy divorce and losing my house, I began living in hotels with my son. I was putting him in dangerous situations, myself in dangerous situations, just to buy my drugs. It was not healthy. I had become dependent on, you know, my wife, um, dependent on my family's support. So now, now supporting my daily habit would be a battle. Uh, so it was in 2021 that I made the mistake of stealing from my own family. And that landed me in a jail cell. But it was, that, it was in that jail cell that I realized the greatness of God's love because I didn't have withdrawals from a 15-year opiate addiction because my brother's nonstop prayers. Uh, 
So they led me to Teen Challenge. And uh, yeah, since that day, I've been sober a year. I have my true identity in Christ now. I'm the best version of myself I've ever been. And by God's grace, I have restoration of my family, including my oldest brother, who I haven't seen in a year. He's here today. Uh, yeah, and my family has blessed me, or God has blessed me and my family in so many ways. And it's because of that, I can leave here now. And I graduate in a month. <coughs> and I can go and be that father that my son's always needed. That brother and that son that my family's always wanted. I get the chance to walk in my calling and you know, pursue my dreams. And it's, it's because God is good, his love is greater, and Teen Challenge is the path that led me there. Thank you, everybody. Hey, Chris, come on up. Yeah, we got one last testimony. Uh, Mr. Christopher Duran. Definitely not, uh, yeah, amen. Thank you. Good morning, Calvary. God's love, incredible, unfathomable, unquestionable, uncomprehendable, but absolutely obtainable. My name is Christopher Duran. I'm 32 years old from Spring Hill, Florida. I am the product of a very abusive childhood. Uh, in my teens, my family were nowhere around, so it very quickly sent me to a life of love, attention in people that I was around, and drugs, and addiction. I sought love in all the wrong places. I sought attention from all the wrong people. Um, all of my adult life, as long as I can remember from 17 to 31 years old, I've been stuck in addiction. The devil has had a grasp on me that was so strong that I had tried many times with my own will to stop. One more, one more day. I've spent the last 10 years of my life in and out of jail. I've missed birthdays, Christmases, and my children growing up. All, for, all because I was stuck in a lifestyle of addiction because that was what was most important to me. I've spent the last year and a half, other than the last six months, in a prison cell. But that's where something amazing seemed to happen for me. Within the last month of me being in that cell, I finally reached a point of being sick and tired. I finally hit a point where enough was enough. And if I couldn't do it, I needed to find someone, something that was stronger than any will that I could imagine. I found God in a prison cell. I didn't believe in God. Up until the last year of my life, I didn't even believe there was a God. I'd always heard about Jesus, I'd always heard about God, but I was never a believer. I was the type of person to shut my door on somebody that I would have called a Bible thumper once upon a time in my life. 
God found me in the darkest point of my life, at a point where I thought nobody would find me, that I would continually be stuck in a life only caring about myself and not others. The last month of my incarceration in prison, I cried out to a Lord and a God that I found that I needed and I hoped was stronger than my will. And he answered me. I prayed a prayer that said, if you were real, I needed you. I need you to open a door that would lead me away from the people, away from the life, away from the place that I once lived in, because that would be my only way of surviving, my only way. A week before I got out of prison, he answered that prayer. He sent me a godly, humble, amazing man by the name of Mark White. Mark White has been an inspiration to me. They became my spiritual parents. They've showed me love, kindness, and affection. In my prison cell, he came to me and said that if I was serious about wanting to change, that if, what, if change is what I really wanted, that he knew a place that I could go that would be difficult, it would be structured, it would be hard to accomplish, but if I did, that I could attain everything that I had prayed for. He offered Teen Challenge. From the moment I got through the doors of Teen Challenge, everything there was incredibly structured from the chores in the morning to the devotions, to the academic schedule, to the constant never ending prayer time. But in those moments, I, I found him. He found me. If, you, if he sits on the door and knocks, you and only you have the choice to open. But if you do, what he will show you is ununderstandable. What he will show you is unbelievable. I am living proof that God exists. My life is a testimony of where God will find you in a place that it seems the darkest moment of your life. That nothing in this world is stronger than the God we serve. That nothing in this world, know where you are, know where you feel you're stuck at is too deep or unfindable for our God. Because he doesn't come to those who already live a righteous life. He comes to the broken. He comes to the sinner. He comes to the tax collector. He comes to the ones who need the doctor. And in those moments, he uses those people to shed light to the world to be living testimonies and proof of his love. I owe everything I am that I stand here before you today as to the God that we serve, to Jesus, our redeemer, our savior, our guider and the perfecter of our lives. For without, I wouldn't stand here today. I stand before you two years clean and sober. Within the last year, I've received my high school diploma. I was baptized in this very church on, on Easter, right here, this year. I'm a leader on an amazing campus, thanks to amazing leaders. I've been given opportunity by God. I've been given positions by people who care. 
and I've been given love by an amazing family. I, I thank God for everything I am today. I thank God for all of you allowing us to be here to share these testimonies. I thank God for Teen Challenge. I thank God for Jeremy and Miss Christie and their leadership. I thank God for the men that have come through the door that I have the ability to be a leader to when I couldn't have even been a leader in my own life if it wasn't for him. God has radically changed my life. And I thank all of you for taking the time to listen. Thank you. I don't think there's a better sermon than hearing the lives of these individuals being changed. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you with a few scriptures and we're going to get into some baptism, but I want to draw the connection to the love of God for others who might be in this room. And you're saying, my story isn't exactly like that, but you have your own needs, you have your own concerns. and. And you have your own disappointments even in your life and you wonder what is God thinking about you and do you fit here and can God do anything with your life? And we want to make sure that even though you're here maybe even celebrating a family member getting baptized today or these Teen Challenge men who their lives have been radically changed, we do not want you to be a spectator on the outside of the love of God. God's love is seeking to save and to connect to your life regardless of the journey or the path, whether it sounds like these stories or others, God's love is for each and every one of us to bring us into His fullness and His dreams and purposes for our lives. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, for this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone, say everyone. How many of you are in everyone? Raise your hand. So that everyone who would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. That's what I said earlier. We wonder if God caught up with us and we turned around because we've been running from Him so long, what would He say? Would it be there with a finger in your face to condemn you? My friend, it's not a finger in your face. It's two arms spread wide with nail-pierced hands that would welcome you into his family, saying, I paid for that very sin that you've been scared to give me, that very disappointment, that, that trip, that slip up in your life, that rebellion that you're afraid to talk to me about. I'm here to bring you up out of that destruction and into a beautiful life that goes on into eternity. Amen. God so loved the world, he gave his son. That scripture's not talking about the planet, it's talking about people, right? Amen. People matter to God. People matter to God. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man, that talking about Jesus, came to seek and save those who are lost. We're talking about today the love of God is seeking and saving. He's seeking you too. And those of you watching online, you might be watching on Facebook or on YouTube right now, God's love is seeking to condemn you? No, seeking to save you. Seeking to save you from yourself seeking to save you from the plans of the enemy, seeking to save you from an eternity that you don't understand of where you're headed, but he's got a better eternity for you. His love is seeking to save. Amen. 
those who are lost. Jesus came to seek and save lost people because God loves people. God makes the move towards you. So many times we want to clean ourselves up, we want to fix ourselves up first, but the Bible tells us that God makes the first move towards us right where you are. I love that, that testimony right in that prison cell. There is nowhere too high, too low, too far, too dark that the love of God isn't seeking to save you and isn't willing to go. He's willing to go into every hospital room. He's willing to go into every broken home. He's willing to go into every disappointment, every wound, every prison cell. His love is seeking to save, to rescue you all and all of us today. Amen? 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this Israel love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And then he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Real love isn't that we love God. Our love for God is a response to his love for us. He loved us first. He loved us best. Somebody say amen. amen. God is seeking for the lost. He's seeking. He's looking. Who are the lost? The lost are those who've wandered off. The lost are those who are buried under sin and shame. The lost are those who find themselves in a dark place. He is seeking to save. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Let me share with you three parables, and we're going to get into baptisms. Three parables, and I'll get you into baptisms. Three stories. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, tax collectors, other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain because he was associating with such sinful people. He was even eating with them. I want you to know that Jesus is God, my friends. And he found himself wanting to be around lost people, not trying to avoid them, not condemning and judging them, saying he's too good for them. He's saying, this is why I came. Not to fellowship with all these religious people, but to fellowship with those who are desperate, those who are in need, those who need a Savior. Jesus told them this story. If a man had a hundred sheep, one of them gets lost, what will he do? When he leave the 99 others in the wilderness? And listen to this. Go search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Do you see the intentionality and the commitment that God has to not just take a cursory glance over the world and say, well, we'll see if I see anybody. No. He is earnestly seeking to save. And he's committed to seek until he finds you. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you? Somebody give Jesus praise for that. Because the first time you might have said no, the second time you might have thought you were too smart, the next time you might have thought you were too wealthy and you didn't need God. But thank God he didn't listen to our excuses or to our arrogance. He continued to reach out his love for us. And in that moment, you finally realized you needed him. He didn't leave you somewhere alone because he keeps seeking you until he finds you. His eyes and his heart is set upon you. And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry that sheep on his shoulders. I love that image, that he finds it, and then he doesn't say, all right, now I'm just going to show you where to go. Get over there. He picks you up, and he carries you upon his own shoulders, and he carries you home. Isn't that great? Give Jesus praise. we got to remember who our Savior is. we got to remember his passion and his compassion for us. He's not only going to save you and find you, he's going to bring you all the way home. Amen. And then he calls together all of his friends and he says, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents 
and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed off. Who are the lost? Those that have strayed off. Another parable finds a woman. Verse 8, suppose there is a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds? I pause intentionally two times. You see in both illustrations, he is searching intently. He is searching carefully until he finds. He is committed to keep searching until he finds. He does not give up on us. Search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call all of her friends and neighbors again and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way there is joy in the presence of God and angels even when one sinner repents. Lost sheep, lost coin. What's a lost coin? A lost coin is something that maybe rolled away, something that got hidden under a bed somewhere, found itself in a dark place, found itself in maybe an unreachable place where other people would have walked by it a thousand times and missed it. But that kind of intentionality of God, God knows exactly where you've wandered off to. God knows exactly where you've rolled into. God knows exactly the dark place and all those shadows cannot hide you from his love. Maybe there's some clothes or some dirt that got thrown on top. No amount of dirt, no amount of clothes or things that were disregarded from other people that were tossed upon you. No labels. Come on, my friends. You can be buried under a mountain of shame, buried under a mountain of sin, buried under a mountain of other people's thoughts towards you, but God will not be deterred. He knows how to find you, even buried and lost and in all those places where you think you're hidden, but he will find you. He will find you. Amen. The final parable, the final passage is that of the prodigal son. You may be familiar with this story. Some of the stories this morning lined up so good with this prodigal son story. To illustrate the point even further, which I love this, that Jesus doesn't just tell one story, doesn't just tell two stories to get his point across, he goes into a third one. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide the wealth between the sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs began to look good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, could you say that? When he came to his senses, some of us have had those moments where we finally came to our senses. He said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and, there, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me your hired servant. At least he was wanting to get his life back with his father and get back home, but he had a wrong picture of how he would be received. He thought that when he came home, his father would be waiting there with judgment, condemnation, that he would have lost his position in his father's heart, but he didn't care, at least I'm in the house. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him coming. How did his father see him coming a long way off? My friends, I believe his father was looking for him intently every single day, hoping that this would be the day his child would come back over that hill and find his way back home. Not looking to condemn him, but looking desperately to welcome him, to welcome him home. The father wasn't sitting inside the house with the door bolted shut. He was outside praying every day, believing every day for reconciliation of his child. His father saw him coming filled with love. Remember, this is Jesus talking. He's trying to tell you what's going on in the father's heart. Sometimes we take these parables and we just write them off. Jesus is telling you everything specifically here. Father is expecting, looking, and this is what's going on inside of him. Filled with love and compassion. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He didn't even wait for his son to get to the altar. He didn't wait for his son to get all the way home. The father shortened the gap between them and met his son far off. That's the eagerness of God. That's the anticipation of God. Sometimes I wonder if God is just waiting for us to just hurry up and make a call for people to repent. He's so excited. He can't wait for that moment where you finally say yes to him. He is eager to bring you home, eager to bring you home. He ran to his son and embraced him and he kissed him. He said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And some of us have that as our own confession. We're so filled with guilt. We're so filled with shame. We're saying, God, I don't deserve this love. God, I don't deserve this welcome home. But please just let me be a slave. Let me be a a servant. But the father didn't even listen to those excuses. The father wouldn't even think of that kind of stuff, just kind of ignored it altogether. His father said to his other servants, no, it's not to his son, because his son's not a servant. He looked to his servant's servants. He said, servants, quick, go bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring of authority for his finger. Put sandals upon his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine that was dead has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the partying begin. Let the partying begin. Amen. Real quick about that whole passage. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Lost sheep wandered off. Lost coin found itself rolled into a dark place. Lost son wandered off. Some sheep may know better, right? Some sheep may know better, but this son should have known better. You might think, see, you think about a a coin and a sheep. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't have control over a situation. But here, this son, who you might think, maybe he should have known better. Why do I say that? Because sometimes you think of people who come to God as people who never knew God. And we're like, yeah, God will welcome all of them back. Or God, God will welcome all of them in because, you know, they were always lost. But what about those of us that maybe grew up in church? What about those of us that were in the Father's house? And at some point in our life, we make a decision saying, I'm going to go my own way. Those are the ones I think that time after time, we have the hardest time coming home. Because we have this lie in our head that said, I shouldn't have known better. I knew God's love. I knew how nice it was in the house. And yet I thought I could do better on my own. I thought I could do this without him. And that excuse and that lie comes up in our head. And so like I said, I love these differences in the sheep and the coin and the son because they're all different. And this son in particular I have a heart for because of those who've been in God's house before and they've found themselves in a dark place, wandered off. I want you to see something, though, about all of these things, the sheep, the coin, the son. All three of them maintain their value even though they were lost. The sheep was as valuable as all the other sheep that were never lost. The coin, think about a coin, 
A coin doesn't lose its value because it's lost. Are you understanding this? And it's as valuable as all the other coins that weren't lost. Amen. And even the son. To the father, that son was just as loved as the one that never left the house. The sheep, the coin, and the son, all of them maintain their value even though they were lost. Let me say it another way. They didn't become important to God after they were found. It was the fact they were always important to God that put him on the pursuit to find them. You don't become valuable after you pray a prayer. Are you understanding? He came to seek and save the lost. Why? Because you're valuable. You may be lost, but to God, you matter so much. To God, you are so valuable. And so today, we want to celebrate all these lives in water baptism that have committed their lives to Jesus. Maybe they were a lost sheep. Maybe they were a lost coin. Maybe they were a prodigal. Maybe they never knew God and finally knew God. Maybe at one time they knew God and walked away and had a restart. But I love how there's always a party that follows the welcoming home of the family of God. Amen? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.